0: Welcome to Making Our Way Forward, a podcast where we share compelling life stories and learn from the experience of everyday entrepreneurs. At NACI, we celebrate diversity and invite you to join the conversation as we talk to entrepreneurs and leaders from all walks of life. We hope that by telling their stories, we bring you inspiration, empower you to take action and ignite entrepreneurship in your community. Welcome to this episode of Making Our Way Forward. We have interesting guests coming to us from many walks of life, and I'm delighted to be joined today with Frank Laney, and he has um, an interesting perspective um, in his job as as a mediator as he does that work, uh, working with people from around the world, but he also has some interesting leadership um, insights and lessons. So I want to thank you, Frank, for spending part of your day with us here at NACI on our podcast. And let's just dive right in and and tell us a little bit about um, yourself, who you are, and and some of the things that um, you spend your day thinking about and working on.
1: My name is Frank Laney. And currently, uh, I work for the United States Court of Appeals, uh, a federal court, uh, as a mediator. And I say currently because in April, I'm going to be retiring and I'm going to be going into private practice or returning to private practice. Um, But I'm North Carolina, born and bred, raised here. Uh, still live in North Carolina, and um, uh, but I've had the opportunity to work uh, all across the state, uh, all across the nation, and more recently, um, quite literally all around the world uh, with lawyers, mediators, judges, and uh, trying to help people and court systems set up systems uh, for resolving disputes. That's what I've done for 35, 40 years.
0: That's wonderful. And I know we got connected to you through our producer, Natalia Berejna, who is always has her feelers out there for interesting people with stories that are are designed to inspire. And I know for me personally, when I think about mediation and conflict, um, as a lot of, you know, women uh, do and we all do in our work life because there's, you know, conflict is inherent in human relationships. I was thinking about um, you know some of the the things that we had spoken about earlier and and some of the examples that you shared um, just just from thinking about um, you know. If you had a miraculous power, um, you know, like we talk about superpowers a lot in our in our work of understanding each other. So maybe let's let's dive into sort of an imaginary conversation. If you had a, a miraculous power, knowing what you know about human beings, um, what would that be and how would it manifest itself?
1: Well, I think that if I were to ask for a miraculous power, let me put it that way, the miraculous power would be to understand people better. Um I think that that's the the biggest thing that's lacking, and actually the, the story that I was sharing with Natalia and with you uh, is an example that I use in my teaching because I, I teach a lot: uh, mediation, negotiation, conflict resolution, all those sort of things. Um, but one of the things that we try to teach is that when someone comes with you to you with a problem, and so yes, you know, if so, Rebecca, if you had this miraculous power that you could do all kinds of amazing things. And so someone who is blind, for example, walks in your door, you say, oh, you're blind. I know what your problem is. You're blind. I will miraculously make you no longer blind. So boom, you're no longer blind. But you didn't ask any questions. So you assumed you knew where the problem is. But we do that all the time in our daily lives. People come to us with problems, situations, issues, and we say, oh, I know how to fix this. I'm going to do this. And, you know, because I have the power the whatever I can I can solve your problem for you. But in the Bible, in the book of Matthew, a blind man walks up to Jesus there beside the road. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, I know how to fix you. You're blind. Boom, you're no longer blind. Instead, Jesus says, what can I do for you? And so I, I, I heard that in a sermon one time, and I took that as a very, very strong sign that if Jesus is asking a blind man, what can I do for you? then that's something I really need to do, that we all need to ask more questions of other people. And uh, and so, like, say, understanding how other people work, I guess my superpower is that I ask questions. I ask lots and lots of questions. And I go into conversations sometimes saying, you know, look, I, you know, I just want to introduce myself. I'm the dumb guy in the room. I'm going to ask a lot of questions because I don't understand what y'all are talking about. Y'all are smart. Y'all are sophisticated. You're scientists, you're doctors, you're whatever. I don't have any of those degrees. So I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, but I find that in the course of that, like for example, right now I'm negotiating or mediating uh, the rebuilding of a dam in the Savannah river. um, And which I don't know anything about building dams, but I know how to ask questions. And so I have all these engineers and scientists and people on both sides and so I'm asked dumb questions, what I think are dumb questions, but I don't know the answer to them. And it's not uncommon that as that goes along, one side will talk to me privately and say, I'm glad you asked that question. We've been wondering that for a long time, but didn't know how to ask that question so the other side wouldn't be offended. So I think that you know, if I have a superpower, it is I ask a lot of questions and And I think that we all should would do better in understanding the people around us by not telling people what to do, but rather asking questions about how they see things and why they want to do things and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so most of the, you know, the the stories from my field of mediation, um, (laughs) the punchline almost always is that somebody else came along and asked the right question.
0: So you strike me. Also, Frank is a very good listener. Um, you know that you're you're always observing things, and you know the work that we do around entrepreneurial thinking and action is really trying to get people to lean in to courage. And I think sometimes asking a question and you don't know what the answer is going to be. We all experience that maybe as a parent or even as a child, as our, you know, adult children, our parents are getting older and there's there's some scary um, challenges that we have to confront. And I, I think about this a lot. I think sometimes People are afraid to ask the question because they're afraid of what the answer might be. Um, But in terms of the work that you do and trying to um, mediate, move people forward to solutions, you have to sort of lean into that courage. And um, the Mm -hmm. other piece I love that you hit on reminded me a lot of really the the role of an entrepreneur and not shopping solutions. And People do that more commonly um, than would be realized. You know, people say, "Oh, I have a great business idea for a gadget that I'm going to produce, or or for a solution that I'm going to shop." And 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 if you don't take the time to realize this. that's something that people really want. Um, you know, it could be your example of the person who's blind, you know, that might not be their major problem. You know, they, they may have navigated that and they're, they're comfortable in their world. And I think it's really up to us to challenge uh, those assumptions and, and challenge what is right. Um, you know, for us might be not be the right answer for someone else. Um, I had a burning question. I was thinking about when uh, preparing for this interview what do you do, Frank, when you have two people or two organizations that seem to be sort of at loggerheads they they are kind of at an impasse and you know sometimes it's human nature to get dug in, uh, so to speak. So how would you approach that and maybe thinking about how we all in our lives might approach uh, that when we find ourselves either dug in or we're dealing with somebody else who's equally uh, dug in?
1: Well, how I handle that as a mediator is different from what what I will advise you to do as an entrepreneur. Uh, As a mediator, there's several techniques I use, but the, uh, I will say the biggest one and actually the feedback that I'd get is that I am either stubborn or patient and in in your job, that is the, I think my biggest asset, I guess the, the, you know, uh, there are some other assets, but the biggest one is I never give up. The other people may walk out of the room, but I never ever walk out of the room. I am always willing to try one more time to see if we can settle this case, resolve the problem, whatever. But anyway, but th- that doesn't necessarily work for the person who's in the problem. So let me tell you about a different technique that uh, comes actually from the Harvard um, Negotiation Project. Uh, but the concept is called going to the balcony, and there's some other terms that people sometimes use for it. But that's the one that they use, and that's the one that I sort of learned to use. So imagine yourself in a play. So so Rebecca is, is in a play. She's on the stage. When I say something hurtful. And, and so imagine Natalia, however, is sitting in the balcony. So she's mm-hmm. watching the play and Natalia. So when Frank says this hurtful thing, sexist, ageist, whatever to Rebecca, Natalia goes, Oh, wow. If somebody said that to me, I'd be upset. But when I say it to Rebecca, Rebecca doesn't say, oh, wow, that's sexist. I would be upset. Rebecca is upset. Rebecca gets mad and Rebecca hollers back. And um, So when you're in the middle of the play, when you're in that conversation, people push your buttons. People say things that you react to. And the problem is that you need to figure out how to stop reacting because you want a rational solution, not an emotional one. Right, that's right. If would have solved the problem, you would have already solved it. But obviously emotional ones are not. So what you need to do is calm down the emotions and go to a rational place. And so to do that, the first step is to go to the balcony. Imagine yourself that I'm no longer Rebecca in the play. I'm Rebecca sitting in the balcony, watching the play going on. And so you stop and this only takes a second or two. Once you've sort of got the practice of it, you stop. Take a deep breath and think about it. Okay, Frank just said something very hurtful. How do I want to respond in a way that will move this forward? Now, if I don't want to have a relationship with Frank, don't want to deal with Frank, then I can load up the barrels of my shotgun and let him have it. And we'll no longer talk again. But if I need to have a relationship with Frank, I need to have a deal with Frank and ongoing deals with Frank, then I need to figure out how to change this conversation. And I need to say, for example, Frank, I'm not sure why you said that thing, but I'll say that it really hurt my feelings. But I'm interested in why you said that or what 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 motivated you? What is your feelings? What is, what's making you? You, you seem kind of angry. What is making you angry about this situation? You know, all we're talking about is, you know, how many widgets of mine you're going to buy, you know, the rental on this place you know, I'm not sure why we got personally against each other. So can we take a step back and talk about the rental on this space that you own and I want to rent um, or whatever the conflict is, you know, I'm just sort of making up stuff.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's really, I think that's also a way of regaining your power, right? Because mm-hmm. I think taking a deep breath and and knowing that certain things are going to push your buttons, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I had a conversation actually with my board chair this morning, and we were talking about the power of reflection and thinking about the things that that we both know that we are good at and thinking of the other things that we know other people excel at. And, And I think, you know, sort of taking what you're saying, taking the emotion out of it um, and understanding that it is is a discussion and negotiation. And if it just completely breaks down and falls apart, then we've really lost that opportunity. Um, I don't know if you've found this in your life, but I've actually had the experience um, a couple of times where I've been in disagreements with people where things did get heated and hurtful things did get get said on, on both sides. But if you really um, sort of lean in and commit to at least trying even as hard as it can be to exercising some empathy and some forgiveness, even if the person doesn't deserve it, because that's the hardest thing is when people are unrepentant and they, you know, they get stuck and they think that they're right. and, And you really have a different point of view is that it's a way of actually building a stronger relationship because, you know, that person may never be your best friend, but funny enough, that person actually could be a person of importance in your life, even though you completely got off on the wrong foot. So I don't know if you've ever had that experience or if you've seen that um, in your work.
1: Well, I certainly see it in my work. Um, I can't I can't think of a, a really good example in, in recent years, although I will real I will acknowledge that a long time ago when I was like middle school or, or high school or something like that, somebody that I knew. You know, we were friends. That's not good friends, but friends, people who we knew each other socially, whatever. And somehow things got sideways and we, you know, kind of you know, said hurtful things or did things that were very hurtful to each other. And, um, and uh, you know, just in my childish way, I realized I really want to get beyond this. I mean, I don't have to have him as my friend, but also he's probably going to be around. He lives in my same neighborhood, et cetera. I I, I'm not moving to Chicago and he's not moving to Chicago, either one, we're both still living in Raleigh. Um, and so, you know, I went up to him and, and yeah, it was really hard to do it the first time I went up to him and said, you know, look, and I forgot what I said, but something to try to clear the air. And you could tell that he really wanted to clear the air too, but just somebody needed to make the first move. And it just happened to be me and we both apologized and both said, we're really sorry. And we'll move forward. And made some small gestures to try to rebuild the relationship. That they, they were very heartfelt, though they were small. They weren't anything big, but the fact that he was making a gesture and I was making a gesture really emotionally felt. And so I'm kind of going, "Wow, this is what it feels like." I've heard people tell about this, or read stories about this, but I I, I had tried it, and it really did work. Not that it works every time, but you're right. But you know, clearing the air and and getting the emotions out of it, and getting beyond and. Let me let me let me say that there's a a way to analyze the situation and we call it in mediation BATNA, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So it's B-A-T-N-A. It's a made up words, an acronym that we use. And so when you're in a dispute, you need to figure out what is my alternative? You know, I can continue trying to deal with this person and get the deal, the best deal that I can get with them. Or I can say they're too much trouble. I don't want to deal with them anymore. In which case, what are you going to do? And that's the that's the question is what is the alternative? And so, you know, if if I'm if you know if I need to rent some space and I've searched the market and this is the only space that meets my criteria, and this landlord is being difficult to deal with, what is my alternative? I don't open my store, I don't do my business, I close my office. Well, all those are pretty terrible alternatives. Mm-hmm you have to deal with this person and so you figure out a way and so maybe what you do is you say look you know i'm going to hire an agent i don't want to spend the money but an agent will be not you know in you know non-passionate or you know dispassionate so i'm trying to say so i will hire an agent who will deal with his landlord and i don't have to deal with him anymore so there's all kinds of other ways of solving the problem other than argue with this person but if this is the solution you need then you need to figure out how to get there Or if you if there's another store across the street and that guy's great to deal with, you say, I don't deal with you. And you go across the street. But you have to first do that calculation. What is my alternative? What are the alternatives I have to continuing this negotiation?
0: And that's really, Frank, thinking like an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. We use the example a lot, a role model I had mentioned earlier in our conversation, Dr. Ed Massey, likened, um, sort of his ideal employees to hunting dogs. Um, and if, you know, I don't know if you're a hunter, but, and I'm not, but I I do like this analogy that a hunting dog, they're trained to follow the rules, right. But they will go up over, above, around, they will jump. They will, I mean, they will do whatever it takes within the sphere of the, the, the rules to get the job done, to get to the end Mm -hmm. result. And that's kind of what I hear you saying. And I think, The piece of wisdom that I picked up, uh, one of many from this conversation is, you know, sometimes going out to the balcony, taking a deep breath, sort of, um, you know, taking a couple steps back um, of not taking it personally, maybe will allow your rational brain to kick in and say, okay, well, I I really wanted solution A, but that doesn't seem like that's going to work. So maybe I go to solution B or C, maybe it's going to cost me a little bit of money, maybe it's going to cost me a little bit of my pride. Um, but what I really want to do is to get to that end result, and and not to to go away mad, or not to have things fester, um, and, and not be resolved. So I, I think it's it's interesting to me because when Natalia um, started speaking about you and your work, um, you know, generally I I didn't think about um, mediation and sort of that discipline and some of the things that you do as entrepreneurial. But as you think about it, and we, as we have this conversation. I can really see how it it aligns beautifully because what you're looking at are win-win solutions. You're not looking, Mm -hmm. um, as you said earlier, for solving problems that, that people do not see as a problem. Um, I will uh, throw out a book uh, that might be on the self-help shelf that I read several years ago by Byron Katie. It's called Love What Is. Um, And that is a good book for anybody who is a parent of a teenager (laughs) or any other challenging people in your life. And really, What it is, is is you kind of own your own reaction to things. And and sometimes I think as as leaders of businesses and in our personal lives, we think, well, that person just needs to change. They need to change their behavior. They need to change that attribute. But really, I think the challenge is if you're looking for win-win solutions, you have to own what is the problem? And sometimes the problem is with you or it's with me because what yeah. we want is a, is an outcome that that person that we're trying to negotiate with um, doesn't want. So this has been a great conversation. I want to just, cause our time is running a little bit short. I want to find out from you, how you did during the pandemic. Um, you had mentioned to us earlier that you are now working with some Eastern European clients, which sounds pretty cool. Um, how, how did you take the um, situation that we're still in, the pandemic, and really try to learn new skills or, or apply things that helped helped you expand um, the work that you're doing um, geographically and in other ways?
1: Well, um, I learned to teach via Zoom. Uh, so I mm-hmm. love And uh, what I've been doing previously is once or twice, occasionally three times a year, I would go to Belarus, Ukraine, um, and had sort of on my agenda to visit Kazakhstan and Georgia and some other, you know, uh, Eastern European countries. But it was all shut down, you know, for the first time in five, six years. I did not go. I did not fly last year to Eastern Europe. Like, you know, flights were all shut down. And so. I've, I learned a different way of communicating, which was through Zoom. And so instead, uh, I was reaching out to new people and new audiences, uh, you know, very low overhead. You know, I wasn't spending $2,000 on a round-trip ticket. I was $0 walking to my office and turning on Zoom. And I had friends in in, in those places who would gather audiences of their friends, mediators, and other professionals, lawyers, judges, et cetera, who would... You know, uh, bring together a group of people. They would advertise, and sometimes they charge. Sometimes they were free, and I would teach through Zoom. And so now, you know, um, you know, more and more people know who I am. It's not important they know who I am, but but I, but I now have contacts over there um, because of you know two years of teaching through zoom of, of doing interactions you know it's only an hour or sometimes it's three or four or five hours you know or several days or whatever uh, but I, but i learned to use a new tool to allow me to talk to people that i otherwise never would have been able to talk to
0: does that set you on the path for your upcoming retirement um, maybe some uh, consulting work or, or things like that that you're planning on doing
1: exactly my wife tells about retiring you're simply going to another job and so yes i i you know, I knew that I was going to do some of this, and now I see that I will be able to do a lot of this. I mean, you know, I'm not in the same room with you today. I mean, although that we both live in the same city, but we've cut down the transaction time. Uh, you know, I don't have to spend an hour driving to your office, getting ready, finding a parking space, and you know, all that sort of stuff. Or you don't have to come to wherever I am. Instead, you know, we click a button. We're on the phone. We're working right now. And so transaction times and costs have gone down, and so I'll be able to continue working, you know, around the world, yeah, without buying plane tickets. Uh, work yeah, and,
0: and the barriers too. You mentioned the hypothetical example of the person who's blind, but you know, think about even you know, person who might be in a wheelchair that um, isn't able to drive a car, or you know, people that have other types of challenges. All of a sudden, a lot of barriers are removed. So I think it's, you know, we always are looking for the silver linings, right, uh, of, of situations that are not optimal. But the people that we talk to in our orbit, a lot of them think a lot like you do. They think about not, I can't do this because, or, you know, they're, they're thinking um, kind of creatively about what did this um, open up and, and some of the benefits. So I want to thank you so much, Frank, for spending part of your day with us. I've heard so many wonderful things about you from Natalia. Um, I can't wait to continue to follow your work. So maybe we could just end on the note. If people want to find out a little bit more about mediation or learn more about you, how do they do that um, if they want to go online?
1: The best thing that they can do is to email me. And the address is pretty straightforward. It's Frank C. Lanings. C is my middle initial f-r-a-n-k-c-l-a-n-e-y, no spaces, no periods, no nothing, at gmail.com. as straightforward. get. Yeah. so email me, frankcelaney at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to respond to you. And if you do not speak English or you don't write in English, that's perfectly fine. I have an adequate Google translator uh, that will allow us, allow us to communicate. So I, I work with a lot of people who speak only Russian. I only speak English, and we get along. So, um, so I'm happy to uh, to communicate with anybody. Um, I love what I do. I love talking about it. Uh, so if you want to get, reach out to me, that's probably the best way to do it.
0: And, and I thank you. And I thank everyone who tuned in today uh, for listening to this episode. So make it a wonderful day.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope that listening to this podcast will help you to explore the many ways we might define entrepreneurship. Join us every other Wednesday for more episodes as we celebrate opportunity, learn from one another, and grow together. Subscribe to this podcast, connect with us on social media, and learn more about today's speakers at nacy.com forward slash podcast. We look forward to making our way forward together with you.
0: Have you heard about our latest book, Impact Ed? How Community College Entrepreneurship Creates Equity and Prosperity? This is our roadmap for building back better in 50 states and globally. In each chapter, we share the inspiring stories of everyday entrepreneurs and explain how community colleges play a crucial role in their success. Visit us at nacy.com impacted to order your copy now and join us in this work.
2: Have you heard the exciting news? NACI recently released a new publication titled The NACI Playbook, Volume 1, all about how entrepreneurial mindset sets the new standard for success in communities and colleges. The NACI Playbook digs into entrepreneurial mindset and how practicing leadership with this framework creates an agile culture with space to innovate, co-create, fail forward, and accelerate growth. Entrepreneurship and Entrepreneurial Leadership dot